Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. This sermon is entitled Numa, The Three Baptisms. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. And uh, we are continuing our series on the Holy Spirit today. And the name of the series is Numa, which is the Greek word for the word spirit uh, that we find in the New Testament. This is, a, this is the second time, this is the first time I've done this. I'm redoing a series that I preached two years ago, but our church was completely different two years ago. Most of you did not hear this series, but I felt like I needed to preach and teach on the Holy Spirit again because this is a core foundational doctrine of our church, and I wanted all of us to be on the same page uh, because I believe that it is vital to understanding the person of the Holy Spirit uh, when it comes to our spiritual lives and when it comes to our spiritual growth. And if you weren't here last week for part one, uh, as soon as we upload last week's message onto the podcast, you need to listen to it because our messages are building upon each other. And so last week's message is, uh, is, is very important as far as the, the, the totality of the series goes. So as soon as it's uploaded, make sure that you listen to it. Having a relationship with the Holy Spirit is vital to walking out our faith in our day-to-day lives. Uh, having, uh, I've noticed that a lot of Christians view salvation primarily as focused on what happens after they die. However, they spend their money as if it were all about the here and now, or they store up their money as if it were all about the here and now. I've noticed that when it comes to salvation, we're focused primarily on heaven or hell, yet we spend our time as if all that matters is what's around us, what we can see. In other words, we want Jesus to ensure that we don't spend eternity burning in the lake of fire, yet we use our resources as if all that matters is our safety, our security, and our convenience here on this earth. And the function of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to help us to focus on the things that matter to God in the afterlife. Let me tell you something, church. What you do here on this earth matters in eternity. And the Holy Spirit helps us to focus on those things that truly matter. For example, helping the poor here on earth matters to God in the afterlife. Okay, feeding the hungry here on earth matters to God in the after. If you'll just look at the teachings of Jesus, you will see how crystal clear this is telling people your story of how Jesus captured your heart is important to God in eternity. And in the scope of eternity, how popular you were and how many friends you have doesn't really matter to God unless you're using those relationships to bring people into a relationship with Jesus. How successful you are here on this earth is not, at the end of the day, it's not going to really matter. Your investments here on earth aren't going to really matter once you enter into eternity. What's going to matter is how you used what God gave you to further His kingdom. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that this happens. Amen? I grew up attending First Baptist Church of Raytown, and it was a 
and Raytown is a suburb of Kansas City, and this church was a great church, and it, in fact, it was one of the largest churches at one point in the Kansas City metro area, but my church growing up sort of stayed away from anything that had to do with the Holy Spirit. Their stance on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and the gifts of the Spirit was that these, these things stopped functioning uh, in the way that they functioned in the Bible once the last uh, of, the, of the original disciples passed away, which is called the apostolic age. And once the apostolic age passed away, the, the gifts of the Spirit and the movement of the Spirit, the way we see it in the New Testament, ceased to flow in that way. And I was taught to stay away from anyone or any church that embraced the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I remember going to VBS, which is short for Vacation Bible School, with one of my friends uh, who attended a Pentecostal church. And during their service, some of the adults started speaking in tongues. And this was the very first time I'd ever, I was a little kid, this was the very first time I'd ever heard anybody speak in tongues before. And I thought I was in some sort of satanic ritual service or something like that. I was freaking out. I heard this, this weird language lingo going on. And, and so when I got home, I told my parents what had happened and what I had experienced, and they banned me for, from ever going to that church ever again. And that was my experience with the Holy Spirit and the things of the Spirit as a child. Fast forward my life, and at age 17, I started attending a Spirit-filled church that embraced the Holy Spirit on a deeper level. And I must admit, at first, I was very skeptical. I thought to myself, if I am saved, why isn't that enough? Why do I need to be, what they're telling me, being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Why do I need to do that when I'm saved already? I have a relationship with Jesus. The idea of speaking in tongues, a language that I did not learn and may not even be a human language, kind of creeped me out, to be honest. And when I heard other people speaking in tongues, it sort of sounded like gibberish to me. But a lot of my thinking was birthed out of a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit was. I honestly didn't understand who He was or what His purpose was for my life. And that's why I wanted to debunk some of the common misunderstandings of the Holy Spirit last week. And that's why we started in that way during this series. And that's why we spent some time last week talking about the personhood of the Holy Spirit and how He wants to have a friendship with you so that He can come alongside of you and help you become all that God has destined for you to become. Amen? And as I listened and learned and researched what the Bible said concerning the Holy Spirit, I became convinced that there was more than I was currently experiencing. That I was not experiencing the Holy Spirit the way the early church experienced Him. I would read the book of Acts and I would see how they experienced the Holy Spirit and I would think to myself, I am not experiencing the Spirit of God in that way. I'm not experiencing the Holy Spirit the way that Peter and Paul and Stephen and Philip and all these guys that, that were talked about and chronicled in the New Testament. I, I, I wasn't experiencing the Spirit of God in this way. There was something missing in my life. And it was 
the, re the relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so my skepticism turned into curiosity, and that curiosity turned into an experience that I had when I was 17 years old, which was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And since that moment, my life has been completely transformed. And I say that to say this, I want each and every one of you to experience the fullness of God's Spirit in your life. I don't want you to miss out on anything that God has for you, okay? I want you to have the full experience, and I want you to have all of the weapons in your arsenal as we fight this good fight of faith, amen? amen. So for today's message, I'm relying heavily on Robert Morris's teaching on this subject from his book, The God I Never Knew, and he is the pastor of Gateway Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I believe that his take on this subject is incredibly balanced and incredibly biblical. And so I want to talk to you this morning about the topic of baptism, okay? And now when I say the word baptism, what pops into your mind is probably what we did uh, a couple months ago after our Easter service when we baptized several people in a kiddie pool back there in the cafeteria. And although that is baptism and that is accurate, the Bible actually refers to three baptisms that the believer has the opportunity to experience. Okay, The word baptism in the New Testament is the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse or to submerge. And so these three baptisms that we're going to look at today are about us being immersed or submerged into something else. And so the first baptism that I'd like to mention is the baptism of salvation. This baptism is when the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ when we put our faith in Jesus, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13 says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit not only draws us to Jesus, but he then baptizes us into his body when we put our faith and trust in him. See, the scripture says we have been baptized into one body, which is the church, okay? And we have been baptized into this body by one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one doing the baptizing here. And it's during this baptism that the Holy Spirit gives you a new heart and a new nature, okay? It's through this baptism that you become born again. It's through this baptism that you become righteous before God. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and the Holy Spirit brought life to you by immersing you into the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 echoes this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, okay, if anyone is where? In. in Christ. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This experience happens at the moment that you decide to follow Jesus and you get baptized into Christ's body by the Holy Spirit. You get immersed into his 
body by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3 and 27 says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This isn't referring to water baptism, but the act where the Holy Spirit baptizes you into Christ at the moment of salvation. The second baptism that the Bible talks about is the one you and I are most familiar with, and that is water baptism. This baptism is where the new follower of Jesus is immersed into a body of water and is baptized after they get saved. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus here commissions his disciples to go and evangelize the nations, and as people come to faith, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This baptism is a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, as well as the death of our sinful nature and us being raised up into new life with Christ, okay? This baptism is an act of obedience by the disciple where we are making a public declaration of an inward transformation, okay? We are letting everybody know that we are going public with our faith. Romans six eleven says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, when you and I were water baptized, for those of you that have been water baptized, when you got water baptized, when you went under the water, it symbolized your death to sin. And when you emerged out of that water, whether it was in a river, a lake, an ocean, a baptismal, a pool, or a kiddie pool, whatever it was, when you came up out of that water, what it represented was your new life with Christ, that your old life, that your past life, it was buried and it's gone, and you are coming up a new creation in Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, let me be clear. Water baptism does not save you, okay? It's a sign that you are saved and that you want to go public with your faith. So if you are saved, meaning you have put your faith in Christ and you have not been water baptized yet, you should definitely, definitely do this. Jesus was baptized. The, the disciples were baptized. The new believers in the early church that we read about in the New Testament, they were baptized. And so you should definitely do this. It's just something tangible that you can do to say that you are breaking with the world and going all in with Jesus, okay? And so if you have not been water baptized yet and you would like to, talk to my wife and I and we'll make that happen, okay? Now, the third baptism, this is the one that I really wanted to get to today. The third baptism that the Bible talks about is by far the most divisive and the most controversial one, okay? And we honestly have no problems with the first two baptisms, but this third one creates all sorts of issues, all sorts of problems. And the third baptism that the Bible talks about is the Holy Spirit baptism, okay? Many people believe that the first and third baptisms are the same thing, but I'm going to show you that they can't be the same thing according to Scripture, okay? And so let's look at what John the Baptist says in Matthew 3, 11. He says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So who is John the Baptist talking about when he says that 
one who is more powerful than me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry will come after me. Who is he talking about here? He's talking about Jesus. And what will Jesus do, according to John the Baptist, his cousin? He's going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So this third baptism cannot be the same as the first baptism because the one baptizing us into Christ is the Holy Spirit and the one doing this baptism is Jesus. So therefore, these are two distinct baptisms, okay? And so if we could put the next slide up so that we can all see, just so we're all clear, the baptism of salvation, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, okay, that is the Holy Spirit baptizing the believer into the body of Christ. And then the second baptism is water baptism. And this is when the disciple is baptizing the new believer into water, okay? And then the third baptism is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And this is where Jesus baptizes the believer into the Holy Spirit. So I don't know if you know this, but there are only a handful of events or passages that are found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? Only the really important things that needed to be re-emphasized, like the death and resurrection, were repeated in all four Gospels. But this third baptism is found in all four Gospels. It's also found in Mark 1.8, Luke 3.16, and John 1.33. And so I say that to say this, the Holy Spirit thought that this statement was so important that he inspired all four gospel writers to include this in their writings, okay? So just to be clear, who is doing the baptism? Jesus. And what is he baptizing us with or in? The Holy Spirit, okay? Now, did Jesus experience all three baptisms? Obviously, he is the way of salvation and became our perfect sinless sacrifice. So that takes care of the baptism of salvation. Secondly, John, uh, or water baptism. John the Baptist, his cousin, water baptized him, so that's the second baptism. But what about the spirit baptism? Matthew 3.16 says this, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. This is when Jesus experienced this third baptism and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke, in his gospel, tells us that right after this experience in Luke 4.1, that it says this, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay? Jesus didn't pursue any public ministry until this baptism. Jesus didn't perform any miracles until this baptism, okay? We believe that Jesus is God, but he set aside his divine abilities when he came to this earth. Therefore, the miracles that he performed were performed because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. The ministry, the miracles, the healings, the signs, and the wonders, the, the, the people that were, that were uh, 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 exercised, that, that had demons. This all happened because Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, furthermore, Jesus overcame temptation by the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus was not immune to sin. He overcame sin. He overcame temptation. He overcame those things that came into his life by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Because the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be human. Why? Because he was tempted in every way, yet he sinned not. The same way you and I are tempted, Jesus was tempted. The same temptations that you and I face, Jesus faced those temptations while he was here on earth. But because he was full of the Spirit of God, he was able to overcome. Now, let me ask you a question. If Jesus needed this third baptism, then why on earth would you and I think that we don't? Why would we think that? Why would we believe that? Why wouldn't we pursue something that Jesus himself pursued while he was here on this earth? If Jesus' power came from the Holy Spirit, then why do we think we don't need that same power? If Jesus needed to be filled with the Spirit in order to overcome temptation, then how much more do you and I need the power of the Spirit in our lives? Now, did the disciples need this third baptism, the the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Many of us think that Jesus' final words to his disciples were to go, as in go and make disciples. But actually, his final words weren't go, but to wait. Okay? And we find this in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry. Okay? That word tarry means to be made to sit down in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Like I mentioned last week, Jesus gave his disciples this gigantic vision to take the gospel, to take my message, to take the truth to the entire known world, okay? Spread the gospel to the entire known world, but I want you to do this without me, okay? I'm going up to heaven. I've I've already done what I need to do here on this earth, but I'm leaving this message and I'm leaving this vision. I'm leaving this mission with you and I'm going to be going up to heaven and and, and I'm going to be seated on the right hand of the Father. But Jesus also said, I don't want you to start until you have received the promise of the Father, which was this third baptism that the disciples experienced in Acts chapter number 2. In fact, he told them, you need to sit down. You need to tarry until you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because if you start now without the empowerment of the Spirit, you are going to be ineffective. You're going to just try and try and try in your own strength, but you're going to fall short because you are not empowered by the Spirit of God to carry this mission and vision that I'm giving to you. And he said, it's... it's, You need to receive the Holy Spirit. You need to receive the power of that Holy Spirit on your lives. Because it's what you receive from this third baptism that gives you the power to walk out God's purpose and plan for your life. And it's the same for you. It's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that, that gives you the strength to walk out God's purpose and plan Monday through Friday at work, in your family, in your home, whatever God has called you to do, wherever you're at, okay, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers you to walk out God's purposes in your life. And that's why it's so important that that we are filled and empowered by the Spirit of God. 
So I believe that the Bible teaches us that every believer can experience these three distinct baptisms. And the purpose is for us to ultimately be everything God has destined us to be and do everything God has destined us to do. Now, let me, also, let me be clear. You can be saved and go to heaven without experiencing this third baptism because salvation is by grace through faith alone. But if Jesus experienced it and he told his disciples to wait for it, then why wouldn't you want and desire to experience it? It's like needing to go somewhere in the city that you're unfamiliar with, but refusing to use Google Maps to get there. Okay, There is a tool designed to get you from point A to point B in the fastest way possible. It'll tell you to get what train to get on. It'll tell you to what, what bus to transfer to. It'll tell you which direction to walk. But it would be like you saying, I need to get to Union Square. This is the first time for you to be in New York City, but I am refusing to use Google Maps. I'd rather just use a, a paper map or I'd rather just use my intuition. I just whatever whatever way I feel, I'm gonna go. You know, you know what I'm or, or I'd rather just ask people on my way. That would be ridiculous because you have a tool that can get you to the place that you need to go. Yet many Christians they 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 treat the Holy Spirit this way. The Holy Spirit wants to get you to the place where you need to go but you are refusing to embrace the things of the Spirit and you are just going around and around and around in circles. Let's look at some examples of these three baptisms in other places in Scripture. Acts 2.38 says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This verse is part of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. And so let's break down the three baptisms in this verse. He tells them to repent, which is the baptism of salvation. And then he says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, which is water baptism. And then he says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the third baptism, which is spirit baptism. I want to go through a few scriptures so you can see the pattern of these three Baptisms, And then let's look at what Peter says next in verse 39. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So what promise is Peter talking about in his sermon here? He's talking about the promise that Jesus told his disciples about in Luke. The promise of the Holy Spirit. He says that this promise is for you your children, to those afar off, and as many as the Lord our God will call. So I have a question today. Is God still bringing people out of darkness and into light? Yes. Then the promise still stands. The promise still stands. And the promise is for you and for me. Let's look at another example. Acts 8, 12 and 13. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ... Both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So according to this passage of Scripture, the believers in Samaria, they received the Word of God and believed in Jesus. Okay, And we know this because they were then water baptized. So they had experienced two out of the three baptisms here. I wonder if this is enough. 
Okay, well, let's keep reading and find out. Verse 14, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. You see in this, verse 16, For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The pattern we see emerging here in the early church is that you put your faith in Jesus, you get water baptized, okay, and then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Three distinct, unique experiences that every believer has the opportunity to experience. You know, I think it's funny that preachers will say that the book of Acts is the example and pattern for the church today, but then they'll turn around and say, but... The early believers' experience of the Holy Spirit is not our pattern and experience. It's a contradiction, okay? And I've shared a few examples of these three baptisms working as a pattern in the book of Acts, but I want to show you an example outside of this book, and it's found in 1 John chapter number 5, verses 7 and 8. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Trinity here. And these three are one. Verse 8. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Can you see the three baptisms and the witnesses in this passage? The Spirit equals the Holy Spirit baptism. The water equals water baptism. And the blood equals salvation through the blood of Jesus. See, these three baptisms are woven throughout all of Scripture. And let me give you one more example, except this time I'm going to take it from the Old Testament. The Old Testament talks about these three baptisms as well. And if I could have the worship team come up. <clears throat> In the Old Testament, God commanded Moses and the Israelites to, to, to build something called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a portable tent basically, that they could go from place to place as they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And so uh, I want to draw a little diagram for us to help illustrate this. Um, and so this is what the tabernacle and, the, and, and, and what it surrounded looked like. And so there was, a, there was a gate here, the entrance, okay? Can everybody see this? Okay. There's a gate here, and then you would, you, the priest would walk in, and, and uh, then there was an altar here, name it A. Then there was something called a laver here. And, and then there was the tent right here. And, um, and, and, it, and that tent was divided into two parts. The first part of the tent was called the holy place. Okay? So there was some stuff in here I, 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 uh, that I don't need to talk about that. But then there was another part inside the tent go into the deeper part of the tent. And that was called the Holy of Holies. Okay? And in the Holy of Holies was what you called, the Old Testament calls the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? And the Ark of the Covenant was where God's presence resided. Okay? That's where the, the, the priest would come in and, and he would... He, he would be in the presence of the Holy Spirit and he would atone for the sins of the people. And only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. Not if anybody else, if just uh, Joe Smo off the street, <laughs> he came into the gate, 
He ran over here, went around and, and came into, the, into that tent and got into the Holy of Holies. You know what would happen to him? He would die. Because, you, because God cannot look on anything that's unholy. And so if someone just escaped and got in there somehow, they would die. And so there, was all of the, there, there were all of these instructions and in how to atone for the sins of the people. But the priest had to do three things in order to atone for the sins of the people and enter into the presence of God. So the first thing he had to do was when he entered the gate, he would go to this altar and he would have to sacrifice an animal. What do you think that represents? The first baptism. The baptism of salvation. Because Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. You and I, we don't need to sacrifice animals anymore because He fulfilled that part of the law in Himself. He was sacrificed once and for all on the cross. He died. He was put in a tomb and He rose again and the tomb is empty. And because of that, because He became the sinless, spotless sacrifice, we can be righteous because of what He did. But before Jesus, He had to sacrifice at that altar. And then the priest would go from that to the laver, and the laver was a little dish thing with water, and he would cleanse himself. It was a ceremonial cleansing of the impurities on the priest. What does that represent? Water baptism. And then every priest, in order to, to, to be a part of the priesthood, in order to be able to do any of this, they needed to be anointed by oil. Do you know what oil is representative of in the Bible? Of the Holy Spirit. And so we see these three baptisms working together as the priest entered into the Holy of Holies, made atonement for the people, and encountered the presence of God. That is amazing, church. That is amazing how the Holy Spirit worked with the priest and how all of these baptisms are shown in the Old Testament. So this isn't something new that happened. This is something that's been experienced in the Old Testament and it moved into the New Testament. So in order for the priest to make atonement for the people and get into God's presence, he had to do these three things. And obviously, as I mentioned before, for us to be saved, all it takes is for us to repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus. But could it be that in order to experience God to the fullest, He desires that we experience these three unique, distinct encounters and baptisms? In order for us to truly walk in victory in our lives over sin, over addictions, over patterns, over habits, over insecurities, over depression, over suicidal thoughts, over, over self-righteousness, over pride, over arrogance, over all of these things that entangle us, over alcoholism, over porn addiction, cigarette addiction, sexual immorality, whatever it may be, could it be the way that we walk in victory? We need to experience these three distinct baptisms and experiences. Could it be that your life 
has been transformed by Jesus, but he has another level for you that you are not experiencing. That he has another dimension that you are not experiencing. Look, it, it, I, I, I want to experience everything God has for me. I am not content experiencing two out of three. Yeah. What percentage is that? 66.7%? Is that what it is? Any of my math people? I am not satisfied with experiencing 66.7% of what God has for me. Are you? I am not satisfied with experiencing 99% or 99.1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. I want to experience everything God has for me. Why? Because I need everything God has for me. The vision that God has put on my heart is big, okay? The vision in my heart to reach lost people is big. And so I need everything. I don't need 66.7%. I don't need 99%. I need the full 100%. And if God has put a dream in your heart, if God has put a desire in your heart, if God has called you to something, you need to encounter and experience everything God has for you to fulfill that dream, to fulfill that calling, to fulfill that purpose. Amen? Let's stand in this place. God's presence is in here. God's spirit is in here. And, and, and I need to tell you this. I need to encourage you, come to church next week because I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking about what, what it looks like biblically to be filled with the spirit. And I'm specifically going to talk about the most controversial thing maybe in all of the Bible, and that is tongues. Speaking in tongues. Okay, and so I'm going to talk about that next week. I'm going to give a biblical perspective of that. And so you really, really, really need to be here for that. Okay, let me just pray.